Hey, welcome everybody. Thank you all so much. We are here. This is the Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, uh, David Dylan Thomas. And uh, today we have a very special guest, uh, Sarah Winters. Uh, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Uh, hi, I'm Sarah. Uh, I was the first head of content design for the Government Digital Service, and now I run a digital agency called Content Design London. It's not terribly intuitive, uh, imaginative. Uh, and we help governments and multinationals around the world communicate effectively. Excellent. And, you know, speaking of imaginative, I had a cognitive bias podcast literally called the cognitive bias podcast. So I don't think you have to worry about imaginative <laughs> anymore. Um, so I uh, like to start these with a uh, land acknowledgement. So um, uh, which is basically uh, me saying, hey, here's who was here before I was here. So I am coming in from Media, Pennsylvania, originally from the uh, uh, inhabited by uh, unceded land from the Lenape people. Um, and Sarah, you and I were chatting a little bit about this before. And it's interesting because you're in, in in Britain. You're are, are you in London exactly? Just outside of London. Just outside of London. So I, I was like looking, there's a map and I'll post the uh, the map here, the link here, if anyone in the chat wants to kind of investigate or you know do their own land acknowledgement in the chat. But I looked at, at Britain and it's like, oh, there's nothing there. <laughs> because <laughs> you, you you were actually there first <laughs> it's not true though is it i mean <laughs> well that's what i was wondering right like i was wondering like i don't know that much about the history of the land so it's like I, it feels like that doesn't seem likely <laughs> well i mean it depends on the way that you look at it but yeah but to, to par you know to paraphrase basically we were part of europe actually properly and mm -hmm. at some point the land just went ta -da, with a bunch of people on it basically that's what happened yeah so there's like you know literally land drifted away <laughs> and you happened <laughs> to be on it when it was there <laughs> could you imagine my friend <laughs> <laughs> i would like to think that happened but it was probably uh, a lot slower than that yeah, it's 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 fun, and and you remind me of a, a rabbit hole that I don't necessarily want to go down now, but I'm curious your your, your take on this. Um, I've always been like, you know, being an American, we are you know for better or worse kind of inundated with British history and European history. It's like the part of the world we decided. <laughs> but one of the things I noticed, like from from history or from just Shakespeare plays or whatever, is this really weird frenemy relationship between Britain and France. And to the point where I was asking a friend of mine who's like, has, you know, we were, he was living in London, but he had some French origin. And he told me this really neat trivia question that the second highest French speaking population in the world was in Britain. Had you heard that? It's yeah. Like, oh, okay. I that's the look I had on my face too. Yeah. <laughs> oh but it's God. like, yeah, all this like inter-travel and intermarrying between British royalty. I don't know. But anyway. Um, yeah. So, so Sarah, I like to open these with um, the very basic question. What have you been thinking about lately, other than traffic? What have you been thinking about lately? <laughs> other than traffic, do you, do you know what? We had a really good conversation at the team meeting today about the industry. Mm -hmm. Really focusing on the industry at the moment and the people, because I, I don't know what it's like over there. Like There is um, a huge demand for content designers over here. Um, but there are also an awful lot of content designers and there are a lot of people calling themselves that, but actually they're kind of copywriters or tech arts or um, technical writers or whatever. And it's not that those, those people can't do the job. Of course they can. It, it's not that. It's just organizations aren't, they're not taking proper notice of it. Mm. And, you know, we're seeing, even we're seeing it, people come to us and hire us. And then when we go in and say, yeah, well, we're going to just pull this and we want to do journey mapping and we want to do this, this and this. They go, why do you want to do that? because we're content people 
because we can because that's our job that's what we should that's what you hired us for um and it's still kind of stymied you know you still got the barriers oh you people there's a box put some words in it mm-hmm. and you know I, I i've been touting this story for ages I, I don't know if you've heard it before but worked for a, a health company that wanted a multi-million pound app what they needed was an A4 poster in the doctor's office. <laughs> they didn't need an app. <laughs> we were just like, you don't need that. They've got it now, by the way, but still, um, you know, because the target audience had to go to the office and, and, and what they were trying to do was all, all in a doctor's office. You couldn't do anything but go there. But no, they they want an app. And, and I don't know, we did this year, we've focused on, hidden accessibility and one of them is poverty and if you Mm. force people to have an app it forces them to a use data b have space on their phone most people actually have space on their phone for photographs Mm. if if you make a decision they will sacrifice apps and things like that for photos yeah just because it's the thing now i mean who carries a camera about now um and so we were sitting there today as, as a team, just kind of discussing, right, as, um, as a company in an extremely generous industry, what can we do? What mm. else can we do? What can we do to help? So I have no answers for that. <laughs> I have a bunch of ideas, but we have no answers. But that's, that's it really occupies my brain at the moment. So the phrase said, like a generous industry, do you mean content design? Like to, uh, unpack that a little bit for me. So content in general, I just think mm-hmm. they're hugely generous. You know, I'll go on at like nine o'clock at night on a Thursday or something. Go, oh, I just need some screen grabs for X. And then 13 people will just pile in. <laughs> they have to do that. We can just sit there and watch TV or whatever it is that they're doing. So, um, and we all, we all blog, there's podcasts. Mm-hmm. There's also everybody is extremely generous with their, their knowledge. And yeah. I just feel like the industry itself gives quite a lot. Maybe I'm biased and a bit grumpy. Well, no, I think I, I think, think the, the industry gives so much, and yet we still have to fight tooth and claw. Why? I, I, I hate to think this is the case, but like capitalism drives me to say this. Is it because we're so generous that it's devalued, right? Like that's that old like maxim of like. The old, the, the old Martha story, Martha Stewart trope of like when she just tried to sell her her cookies at like normal price, like no one would buy them. But when she started charging like 20 bucks for them, people were like, oh, these must be amazing cookies and started paying for them. Yeah. Um, like I'd maybe, hate to think that was true, but. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I, I mean, I think there's something like anybody can write. Yeah, I think, yeah. Right. And, and most people can um but you do trip over those people who really can't and shouldn't be doing it um just like the same with everything right people can draw everybody can draw but those people who practice it for 10 hours a day are going to be better at it than people who just pick up a pencil on a thursday yeah yeah and i think that's the i i'm always fascinated by what people assume expertise in uh versus not right so you know here in the states i think a lot about like Everybody thinks, I'm, I'm sure in, in um, Britain, you get this with uh, football. Everyone thinks they could manage a football team <laughs> yes. way better than the people exactly. doing it. But on the other hand, um, nobody, like if I were to say, hey, could you just, I'm, I'm busy and I'm, I'm a heart surgeon, but I'm kind of busy today. Could you just pitch in? It's, you know, they wouldn't be like, oh yeah, sure. Of course. Yeah, yeah exactly. Just move out of the way and give me a scalpel. It'd be fine. <laughs> no, 
<laughs> none of that none of that so um yeah that is really occupying my mind at the moment sure and do you think that that the so it feels like part of it is definitely this everybody can write thing i feel like i wonder if another part of it is just like going back to the app versus the poster thing is there a certain degree of just like well i'd like an app <laughs> i think apps are shiny i think posters are boring but apps are shiny so if i want an app everybody must want an app let's get an app exactly and and that's it and it's like i want an app to my name i want to yeah about and i want to be part of the tech revolution i want to be a disruptor i want that on my linkedin i want all these things and you're kind of like you don't need it and i'm loving some of the stuff that's coming on twitter at the moment um about all around sort of like a cms is not going to save you new tech mm. is going to save you your content is going to save you yeah um, so you can buy the new content management system with all the bells and whistles, which we know that most organizations, they don't use half of it. They don't need that level of whatever it is that they've got. Actually, what they need to do is sort out the workflow and governance. Mm. They need to sort out their vanity metrics. They mm. need to sort out their ego. And they need to focus on what their, their company can add value to their audience's lives. But that's that's not sexy, is it? It's not shiny. Well, you, it, well you can, but you know. So I think that's that's kind of a key. It, that's been a theme this season on the show is the the degree to which we as practitioners underestimate the 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 role that ego plays in decision making. Right, whether it's liberals. Um, kind of like pitching their message in weird ways because of a certain level of pride in their knowledge or whether it's companies like wanting legacy, right. <laughs> and rather having a, an app to their name than a, than a nice poster. Um, like how do we, I don't know, like, I, I'm curious, like, as that, how have you sort of approached that issue in, um, in your work? Cause you've, you've, you've spent a lot of time trying to make stuff. I don't want to say make stuff less shiny, but really make it more useful. Um, what have been some of the things you've learned in that journey? Yeah, I'm the queen of dull. <laughs> um, do you know what? It, it, it really just reminds me of a conversation I had with the deputy prime minister's office. And I had some secretary or whatever, whatever he was called, call me and say, deputy prime minister wants the word rip off Britain, the term rip off Britain on WK. And I was like, it's, it's slang, it's jargon, it's colloquialism. We're not doing it. You don't have that on WK, um, not on the, you know, the mainstream bit that we were running. And he's screaming at me. Who do you think you are? Do you know who I am? Do you know who the deputy prime minister was? I was like, has anybody actually explained to him why we don't have it? And there was silence. And they were like, well, we don't have to. He's deputy prime minister. He can have what he's like. And I'm like, I'm a civil servant and we're apolitical. Also, you lot don't have access to the content management system. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we, we had this backwards and forwards conversation and I stopped it out. I said, is he nice? Mm. Like, what, what, what? I was going, Deputy Prime Minister, is he nice? I've never met him. I'm, I'm just a great seven. Nobody's going to let me talk to him. <laughs> so is he nice? And the guy said, oh, yes, yes. And he's stuttering. I said, well, I'm happy to come across. In fact, I will clear my diary this afternoon and I will come and tell him why he can't have rip-off Britain on WK. Shall I do that? 
fang slammed down. It went completely dead. I went bolting to the Mike Bracken CEO's office going, I think you're going to get a phone call. <laughs> <laughs> Happily, uh, Mike was the sort of person that just brushed everything off. He just did. He wasn't even in. So I was like getting his PAZ, he had like an entire team. Just warn him this might be kind of nothing. Nothing happened. Wow. And I think some of it, the reason that I tell you this is that I think some of it is learned helplessness, which again is a term that comes from Gov UK. We learn mm-hmm. not to say anything because yeah. we know it won't work. And sometimes, like really honestly, if I hadn't been in a foul mood that day, maybe I would have like, well, the, the end would have been the same. It still wouldn't have been allowed on, but I would have handled it in a different way. But I think sometimes it's just, it's the need to be bold Mm. and to show the ego, show it back to them. Yeah. You know, that like I've talked about this loads about showing uh, discovery, showing all your evidence. Don't, Mm. don't have the argument yourself. Mm. I mean, I never do. If I, if I've got a problem with somebody, I will walk into a room and I will show them use the video test things before I say a word, I'll say hi. And then I will show video after video after video. And then I'll say, hello, what should we do about this? <laughs> I love that because it puts you on the same page from the go, right? It isn't, hey, I'm coming in with my problem that I want you to solve. It's coming in and saying, hey, here's a problem that neither of us are, neither of us are on this video. This is the people we're serving on this video. How are, what are we now going to do about this thing that neither of us, neither of our egos, right, are on that video. I love finding a way to, redirect right the ego or, or or the 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 focus from here's how important i am to here's how important the user is yeah exactly and when when we go into somewhere especially when they're quite tricky or hierarchical we'll mm-hmm. do journey mapping um and we'll get everybody in the room so we never have to say no mm. hey, is this is the user journey where are you yeah and so it becomes like we as a team because you leave your team at the door. We are now a team. Yeah. Who is the team going to handle this? And we invite everybody, like marketing, legal, comms, the press release team, everybody. We invite everybody in and say, right, this is the journey. We know this is the journey. This is the data. Going to fight with the data? I'll show you it. And so we show you them all of that. So it, it, can, it, it takes some of the kind of gust and the wind out of the room because you're kind of like, you're not arguing with me. You can go argue with the people that you're trying to serve or that you're trying to get to do it that way. Yeah. And that's something that I found. I've also like worked with um, objective matrices or sort of goal setting as a means of doing that too. And sort of saying, okay, here's let's, before we even kick off, right. Or as a part of the kickoff, let's sort of say, here's what this is all building to, right. And here are the different things we're going to do to build to that. And then here are the strategies to get to those objectives and then boom, 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 yeah. all the way down to the tactics. So that any time my stakeholder comes back and says, well, I don't want to do that anymore. Okay, fine. Tell me if we're not doing that, this is how it ladders up. Uh, are we okay with not having that part? Or is there something you want to replace it with? Or alternately have them come in and say, hey, I went to a, a seminar this weekend on eBooks. Let's do eBooks. Great. Show me where eBooks fits in. And what you want to knock out to replace it with. And it's like, again, it's not me saying no. You're actually going to say no because you're going to look at the big, at the big board. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the thing is, again, I think it's down to the expertise of the industry. Because when mm. somebody comes in and goes, we just want to do this, we all go, oh, right. And you just make it work. Because yeah. you're an expert in your field and because you're very good at what you do. And so we just make it work. And I think actually 
we're quite silent. And I don't think the people, particularly in the upper echelons, understand exactly what goes into what we do. So when we do like content strategy sessions, I'll go up to board level and give them all the money and the, the, how they were bleeding money before and now they're not and all these sorts of things. And then we'll do a different presentation, same sort of thing, but different presentation to the project board. And then we will go down and we'll do the different cuts of the same thing yeah. to kind of get them on board. Because I think we know what we're doing and we do it very well and we do it very quick and we do it very quietly. Mm. Whereas actually, I wonder if we need to be more loud. Yeah, and, and honestly, it, it troubles me. So first off, Anybody in government saying the phrase, who do you think you are? If it, unless, <laughs> it's, unless it's a dictatorship, I don't think those words should be coming out of your mouth, <laughs> right? Like, if anyone, the person lowest on the totem pole should be the one saying, who do you think you are? You know, the, per the person who does the voting should be the one saying, who do you think you are, right? They have a right to say that. Nobody up any higher has the right to say that, right? And so I get very troubled that anyone's ego is there in the first, I, I get why it's there, but the fact that it's there in the first place kind of tells you something about how they've acclimated to their, their, their position, to their power, their relationship to their power. So that's, that's, that's one thing already. And then the response to that, right, is a very sensible response. It's, it's, it's the response of a group, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but it's very similar to the response of a group that's being oppressed, right? If the Romans come into town and they take over everything and they say, okay, we're, we're, we're occupying the space now, we're the colonizers, you guys do what we say, two or three people stand up, get smacked down, everyone else learns, oh, there's no point in standing up, right? And this, it's there's a scary similarity to the learned helplessness of, oh, well, I could complain, but if I'm loud, ooh, I don't know if that's going to work out. Let me not even try. Yep. And again, I am sorry for the British coming over to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's okay. I'm American. I have to apologize in every other country I go to as well. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm really sorry. Um, yeah, no, that, that's exactly it. And, and the ego, you know, it, it is hilarious. You say, that in other government meetings, you know, I've had people ask me my grade. Like, and mm. there was one woman who sat there and turned to the next person that she was sitting next to, really loudly just said, who is that woman and what is her grade? Mm. Because it's kind of like, why is she speaking? And so I think there's also something to that about the level of skill that we have. Because it shouldn't matter what my grade is. The, matter, the fact of the matter is, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And and you would, if you looked at it, so it reminds me of an exercise I did once where it was one of those, let's get everybody from every hierarchical diversity and kind of lateral diversity, let's get everybody in the room to solve a problem. And we, we laid these ground rules down at the beginning of the workshop that said, look, from for the, for the next eight hours, there are no titles. We are 10 people in a room trying to solve a problem. That's it. Like, I don't want to hear director this and marketing that. Like, no, we're just 10 people in a room. Um, because yeah, that's, that, that's exactly what happens. And it's, I don't know, it's scary how used we get to pulling rank. I think we do it when we're afraid that we don't have expertise, <laughs> but, um, maybe that's but, it actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the things I want to definitely talk to you about, and it's kind of how we were introduced. It's so funny. I'd been familiar with the work. I don't even know if you ever told you the story, but I've been familiar with the work of gov.uk as kind of a standard bearer. For those of you who don't know, like, Gov.uk became, I forget exactly the time frame, but it came kind of like the standard bearer in this world I live in of content strategy of this is what it looks like when you make things easy to use and easy to understand. 
And I, I still remember seeing like, it was like the motto or something, or like one of the first things, uh, service is so good that people prefer to use them or people prefer them. And I was like, that is the boldest statement, right? To come from, because I'm in America where like government's like, you take what you get, <laughs> right? <laughs> For them to say, exactly. And to come out and say like, no, we're going to actually make it so good that even if you had a choice, you'd still pick us. Like that's, that was bold. So I was like enamored of that. And then we went to Confab and I was sitting next to you the whole time because I, I had not connected your name with gov.uk. I just hadn't made that connection. And then you get up on stage and you start talking about them. Like, wait, I've been sitting next to her this whole time. <laughs> oh, thank you. And then, and then, you know, we start chatting. But um, so, uh, so with that context of one of the, one of the key tools in that toolbox of making it a service that people prefer to use was plain language. And I sort of want to get your definition of or how you your sniff test for this is or isn't plain language. Do you know what, years ago, there was a guy in the Department of Health, I can't remember his name now, and he said, he was, he was a clear English champion. At first mm. he was an English champion, and then he changed his title. And I was like, why have you changed it to clear? And he said, plain makes people think boring. Mm. What we do is not boring. What we do is we're clear. And I was like, oh, I like it. Yeah. That, that makes sense to me. Because like, if you say plain language to people, they do automatically think boring, but it, it, you know, it really doesn't need to be. So if, if I said to you, like, just do it, do you know what brand I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Right, it's in your primary vocabulary set. You've got 5,000 terms in your primary set. You've got 10,000 terms in your secondary set. That makes up to 80% of your language. Just do it is in the probably, I don't know, like the first 20 or 30. You know, <laughs> your parents are saying to you, just do it that's plain but it's to your intent it's to what you're trying to get across I think loads of people th there's an ISO coming did you know about plain language no. Stand for plain language yeah I'm really curious I can't wow. wait to see it I can't wait to see it but I'm curious about what will be on it yeah. and how you will police that <laughs> how you will enforce that yeah and for those of you who don't know like iso is this organization i think it's worldwide um this organization that just creates standards for everything from like this is the this is this is the degree this is the amount of weight a, a bridge has to hold to be considered safe or this is like the tolerance on how thick a bottle cap on medicine needs to be like just all these different standards because at the end of the day you need to know if i'm going to declare this safe or not what's the number um they do that for everything all over the world and i never even conceptually i never even thought of oh we're going to create a standard <laughs> where we're going to literally say this is and isn't plain language or clear language i i kind of struggle with it. i i am really excited about it and i can't wait to see it but i am kind of like hmm, what's yeah. plain to one person is not plain to another person yeah whether it is steeped in intent and clarity yeah, it's emergent, right? Like in a given situation, a whole bunch of cat, you know things are going to happen that mm -hmm. determine in this particular set of circumstances, right now that language is clearer to me than that language. Whereas a bridge, like you can put a amount of weight on it or you can't. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. like, like maybe if it's cold, it's different, but that's it. <laughs> like, exactly. um, yeah. And plain language is, I don't think, if, if you were to look at a page and say, that's really clear, it's understandable. It's engaging. I know what I need to do now. I don't think you can pick a, a one word out. Yeah. 
I think there are single words. So, you know, I've worked on them myself. Single words can just kill an entire service dead. It can. Um, and we've all got examples of that. But for something to be, I think, plain language for a start, I also need to do it. I need to stop talking about plain and change it to clear. Yeah. But also, if it's clear, you need to understand who your audience is. And I think a lot of people, including government, still think everybody is their audience. And it's not. It's just not. You don't need to have child benefit if you haven't got children. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because like in, instinctively, intuitively, it seems like, well, government is for everyone, but each government service isn't for everyone by definition, right? Um, in fact, there's, there's a, I can only think of a few things that everyone needs to know how to do. And even those things are going to be regionally specific, like voting, for example, like everyone needs to know how to do that. But the particulars of your district, right? And you're like, you know, even the machine you're using might be different than the one a couple counties over. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, I think you've hit on it there. There are very, very few government standard government services that do hit people like voting. And like you say, then you have regional differences and um, also, you know, eligibility. I mean, not for voting. Well, yeah, even for voting, you know, you have to have an age and you have to have an address. You can be a British citizen, but if they can't post you anything, you can't vote. Mm. So even if you hit the criteria, most of the criteria, it's still not necessarily for you. Yeah, and I wonder how much of that also, like, I have a friend who works in government here in, in Pennsylvania, and she's finding all these just weird obscurities, right, in how things are done that were clearly not the result of user-centered design, <laughs> <laughs> right? And I wonder sometimes... Like it's, it's the, it's the, it's the, the, I always go back to the hot dog example of like in America, um, hot dog buns come in packs of eight and hot dogs come in packs of 10, right? The actual meat that's supposed to go there. And like, it's when, and, and it's, it's a peculiarity of the meat packing industry versus the bakery industry. It was easier to create those in units of eight. And it was easier to create, you know, meat. And, but if you had been, if, if hot dogs had been a startup, and they did a bunch of user research and market research would have been like, well, maybe we should have both of those on the same amount, right? Yeah, exactly, right? Uh, exactly. But that's not how that's not how that was designed. And I think government is very similar. Like it's only in the past maybe 10 years we've started to really think and have a lot of money invested in or even laws created around things like clear language or around um, uh, let's, 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 let's design this particular service from the start as in, in a way that takes into account the people who are affected by it. Um, but we've got this, you know, this build up, this detritus of like laws and policies that were created, you know, for years and years with like not really thinking about who they were helping. Exactly. And if you do write it in clear language, you really show the problems. Mm. Services. And we had it numerous times. We've we GovUK, I work for numerous governments around the world now. And it's the same across the board they're like you can't say it like that it's like but that's what's happening yeah but you can't say it like that because we don't want people to know Ooh, then yeah. you change your policy because yeah. policy that's the problem you can't if, if you write with real clarity and really understanding your user and with a lot of respect for your user you're not going to hide this crap from them you're going to tell them how to get through it and so there's nowhere to hide you can't you know it's lipstick on a pig in a lot yeah. of examples and you can't hide 
Yeah, it's, that's another thing you never want to hear come out of a civil servant's mouth is you're making us look bad. <laughs> <laughs> I have got so many stories for you. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> there, was one, there was one guy. He, uh, there was a minister. He had a new service, multi-million pound shiny service, and he wanted it on the homepage. He wanted it everywhere. And I was like, this service doesn't work. This is what I've seen the test results. You've tested it. And it does. this is pre-GovEK. This is a direct gov. It's like this, this service doesn't work. It doesn't work for the people you intended. It doesn't work technically. It doesn't work. Anyway, this minister's jumping up and down. And um, the leadership was quite weak at direct gov. So they just said, put it onto the site, Sarah. Put it on the site. And I was like, I don't want it on. I don't want it on. So I put it on the homepage. And I gave it a really prominent spot because only 7% of people went to the homepage. <laughs> I will oh. hide this in plain sight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you make me do it, but there, there's to your original point, ego. Yeah, it didn't work. Nobody could get through the service, but it had to go. Yeah, I don't know. Another story that we have recently is somebody told me in a whisper. <laughs> they said. Uh, this isn't the government. This is a large multinational organisation. I said, oh, I, I see that you've finished your, your digital transformation. How was that? And they went, mm, it's been deemed finished because it took us two years, not that we've actually done the work. Ego. Ego. Oh, my God. They there... could just stand up and say, no, sorry. I mean, do you know what? They're huge. They're hierarchical. I, I was looking at it going, two years? Really? Mate. <laughs> I would look at five the way that things are going there, um, but they couldn't do it. So ego. There's there's like a whole. I mean, we talk about like the moral hazard of gameplay. There's like a whole realm of like decisions that get made because that's just what we're judged on, right? And I think what that reminds me very much of is uh, the grading system for you know for schools in the states. It's sort of like there there's this whole you know gamification regrettable term, but there's this whole gamification thing back in the day. And one of the, one of the examples people used to bring up is that like school is the worst designed game ever because in any game, you don't advance to the next level until you've completed the first level. Like you have to actually complete a certain set of tasks successfully. Right. Whereas in school, you basically have to take a test and pass the test and the test is standing in proxy for you've learned all of this stuff which would be great if it were even possible. And the thing is, even if you do badly on the test, you still move on because, well, you're eight now. You need to go into the next grade. Like, unless you're doing horribly, <laughs> right, you, you, you just advance on, whether you've really, really completed the task or not. And it's like, but, but and it's like no, you, you've been here. It's like the two years thing. It's like, well, you've been here for a year. You have to move on. We're just going to assume. <laughs> just right? Off you go. Ta-da useless you're someone else's problem now and it, and, it, and it speaks to not to get on too high a horse here but it speaks to the goal like the actual intent like if you're actually being judged on educating someone and if they don't actually get educated on the thing you don't get whatever the thing is um like actually i take that back because a lot of the times at least here in the states a lot of times that that isn't necessarily the issue the issue is more of underfunding <laughs> and it's more like hey you've got a year to take this paper clip and this piece of paper and teach 10 people, you know, how to pass this test. That's, that's really the reality. <laughs> I think the, the problem goes deeper than that, but the system that it's built on, right. makes it easy to just, or easier to just say, okay, what all I need to do is get you from here to here. And I'm going to do that. Um, yeah. yeah. But I, I think the bigger issue there, like we fund it in a way, 
right? That leans into this notion of, I don't actually care if you're educated or not. I just need to say you spent a year here and you moved on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then it becomes somebody else's problem. Yeah, yeah. And I think particularly with these things, they, they with digital transformation, it's like I've achieved digital transformation, not that I've <laughs> made things better for anybody. It's And it's the same we saw, particularly at the beginning of COVID, massive amounts of panic publishing. And if it's success with stuff being up, well, I've published it, therefore it's fine. The fact that nobody could understand it, nobody knew what the hell was going on. One of our government departments issued 94 updates in a, in a week to these PDFs that could be 100 pages long. They weren't all 100 pages long, but they could be 100 pages long and didn't tell people what the new things were. So people had to reread the entire thing to work out what was new and what had changed. But as, as far as like people in government were concerned, it's like, yeah, but we've published it and it's out, it's success. No, digital transformation isn't because you've decided it's time to move those people on because it's been two years. Well, I, and that's a term I've, we've, we've heard, I'd say like the last two, three years, like a lot of is digital transformation. I'm curious your take like on the term itself, like what, what would you say is like a, a, a clear cut example of that? Or what, is, what, it, what does it mean? <laughs> Let's get back to clear language. What's the clear language version of digital transformation? Do you know what? I don't think it exists. Okay. I don't think it, I think it, it's really, again, we, we get off, we go into a lot of organizations and we have to sign non-disclosure agreements, you know, three inches thick. Mm -hmm. So why are you so scared that we're going to talk about improving things? Mm. And again, I think it speaks to vanity and ego where people can't just say, do you know what? What we're doing is a bit rubbish and we're going to make it better. There we go. <laughs> a lot of organizations would do a lot better to just say, we got that wrong. And now we're sorting it out. I well, think we trust them a bit more. It would be a bit more human to say, sorry, I've, I've screwed up. I'm going to do something else. That, that's another discussion that's been happy because I feel like increasingly I'm seeing a lot of the tension in organizations around being human at work. And I feel like the, the COVID has kind of like pushed this a little bit because we're literally at home now when we get on these Zoom calls. We are at our most human now when, we, when we're in a business meeting. Like we don't get to abstract it by being in an in a, in a office with like gray walls and shiny computers and desks. It's like, no, I'm here. Here's like, you know, my life. This is like the, the nicest, right? I like my library. Here's, here's my yard. And here's just me in a t-shirt, right? It's like, there's so much less hiding now in, in professionalism. And I feel like that's pushing this conversation around, well, if I can be that human at work, why can't I be a little more human at work? And is it weird that we're asking people to not be human at work? Well, I think it, it, it's massively weird. And also, you, you know, you have those kind of story that the woman who cries in the office, I've been that woman, I've been that woman. And everybody's like, uh, I don't know, here in Britain, maybe it's because we're British. We're like, oh, um, <clears throat> let's all look the other way. Something, something's very interesting over to the right because that woman's emotional over there. And you will get somebody going, do you want a cup of tea? Should we go and sort that out? But there's like, you can't take it. And, and particularly, you know, in the industry, women are seen as, you know, over emotional uh, because we get really upset and kind of like, why are we doing that? Whereas if a bloke did it, it's passion. Yeah. And that they love their job. And yet I think we've taken it to such degrees and, the pandemic as you say has started to pull some of that away 
And actually, we are all sitting here. I mean, I don't know about you. I haven't been out of jog pants in like four months. Thank God I never have to stand up, quite frankly. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I don't want that to stop. But I think if you bring yourself to work, not some veneer, I think we will create better digital services. Absolutely. Because we I, I, put heart and soul into it. Well, that and, and our identities carry so much information with them. Like I, I struggle with recommending anonymized hiring processes. And I'm cool with it because I know that hiring managers bring their biases to the job. And if they see a male name or a female name or an ethnic quote unquote sounding name, it is going to color their view of that resume. So I would rather them not see that. But I consider that a band-aid. Long game, you should not have to hide who you are to get a job. Right. In fact, I should be hiring the whole you or like 80% of you. I don't know. But like the type, the types of problems we have to solve in the future, in the now are the types of, are the types of problems that require our whole selves, not just, you know, our ability to, you know, put together a car on an assembly line. Like that's what robots are going to be for. Right. You know, not to put too fine a point on it, but if you don't want to get jobbed out by AI, have a job that you bring your whole self to, that you bring the part of you that isn't something an AI can replicate, right? So we need to get to the point where, and it's basically there's a business imperative around being able to be more human at work because if you're not, well, a robot is very good at not being human at work <laughs> and cheaper. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. I hadn't thought of it that way, but yes, maybe we could all save our own jobs. <laughs> but in digital, we are designing you know, services for humans, not robots. Yeah. And I see, I see that we have one recently where somebody was saying, oh, I was, I was writing my kind of us to consumers and it's this tone and I was writing this to other businesses, so like B2B, and I've changed it. And I was looking at these like 42-word sentences with all jargon. I was like, why are you doing that? So because it's business to business. So I said, but the business is run by humans and the yep. humans are going to be the same humans that are looking at your consumer side having the two but it's it's entrenched it's just it's just entrenched and if you don't you know if you don't speak in that way if you don't use long sentences and jargon and all the rest of it then you're not seen as professional but I think there is I think there is a wave coming in the UK we have a lot of brand well a number of brands like Bulb have you ever heard of them no Bulb are an energy company here. You can't make energy particularly exciting. And they have. They've stuck unicorns in it. And it's quite funny. Um, they have beautiful, clear language. Mm. And they've just made it. like It's like, oh, you're a brand with a personality. And mm -hmm. you've got a personality because you sound human. Therefore, I think I'm going to trust you more. Yeah. I, I wonder, too, like, to me, like jargon is is sort of like business attire <laughs> it's sort of like a way of looking professional right if you go into a professional meeting like in banking or finance or a lot you know you wear a suit right yeah. or you know it's like nice clothes and if you're wearing a t-shirt people won't take you seriously and i think that's the fear is like clear language is like wearing a t-shirt and people are like oh well i could say this more clearly but people wouldn't take me seriously yeah did, did i tell you about testing the star guide like, no so right at the very beginning, um, recreated the star guide. And this is, we hadn't gone live. We were in beta at this point and changed everything, obviously, to be 
clear language, accessible, usable, everything from minute one. So the style guide was completely different to what we had before, or very, very different to what we had before. We had this test participant in and she was amazing. She just she just gave you a monologue of everything in her mind about everything. Oh, that glass is very nice and I like this table. It's quite shiny. And oh yes, this seat is. It was just, it was just she was a perfect <laughs> participant, right? Yeah. And she came in and she um <clears throat> we, we gave her Google and we said, go do this task. And she went in and she she looked at it and she said, um, this government website. And the researcher was like, Oh yes, yeah. She said, I understand that. I don't trust it. She went back into Google and went looking for something else because she didn't trust it. Because she said, no, 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 no. I get, I get that really easily. I know what I've got to do. No. Boink. We had to change the design. I, I walked away going, ah, you know, I'm going to have to change the star guide back so that people trust us because otherwise they're not going to know. In the end, the designers changed the design. Black, great big white crown. Everybody was happy. I could keep my style guide, <laughs> but it's what people are used to. Yeah, and that's a, a frightening prospect, right? Like it goes back to the learned helplessness. It's like your brand <laughs> is so tarnished that if it's more helpful, people don't trust it's the same brand anymore. <laughs> that's it. It's like, oh no, you want to help me? It's not you. I don't trust it. I don't, I don't know how it is over there, but it's like cable companies in the States. It's sort of like, you know, if a cable company said, oh, we'll install the cable at exactly 2 p.m. and not, you know, sometime between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. two days later, I'd be like, wait a minute. Is this a scam? <laughs> are you trying to break into my house? Wait, are you are you really the cable company? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd be checking the URL, wouldn't you? Going, is, that, is that real? Has that been scammed? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I honestly, I honestly worry about like, so we've got, you know, Biden coming in and I'm wondering like if the 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 voltage between how the US was prior to that and how the US is trying to act post that is going to be such a voltage shift that other countries are going to be like, are you sure that's America? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm I'm really curious. Really curious if you've taken a look at the language that's been used in the past couple of years take like i don't know past six months of the new yorker and mm -hmm. just pick at random eight of the articles and then go back five years and take a look at the articles then no take a look and count the amount of adjectives used really mm -hmm. what is that what is that, that signaling this is this is a thing that i really want to do it's a research project but i really okay. want to do it it's long term and i haven't got the time basically <laughs> But I will do it one day. Um, I do it here in Britain. So when we have something that is particularly inflammatory, and I've got loads of examples from the past few years, sure. <laughs> I will take um, uh, all the newspapers, all the broadsheets um, and the tabloids. I'll take the lot and I'll take the same story and I will count the adjectives. Now, the tabloids normally have way more and very little fact. Mm -hmm. Ones that take themselves more seriously will drop it and they will have fewer, but they will have longer sentences <laughs> and have, will have clearer language, whereas mm. the tabloids are more likely to use colloquialisms. Oh, that's that interesting. That and I've been looking on and off, like I haven't done it properly for the American market, so I'd be interested to see if somebody's done it properly. But New Yorker is quite the temperature. Take a look at it now. Take a look at it a few years ago. And mm. I would like to see it in two years' time. Oh, I bet you could 
automate that actually. Because <clears throat> AIs can basically it's just a data set. You can say, hey, AI, these are adjectives, these are not adjectives. Tell me and then just count. <laughs> like what's real and what's not real? Because I think there is a direct correlation. So do you think that the the increase in the use of adjectives, what do you think that's indicating? Like if I see more adjectives in an article than fewer? I think I think in sight, particularly here in the UK, I think there is a direct link between that and then hate crimes. Oh and wow. I would also like to tally it with social media. Mm. So we did we did a project um on migrants, very difficult situation very difficult subject um and we took a look at twitter um linkedin and facebook on facebook everybody said i if they were extremely racist they would say i they would still own it mm -hmm. on twitter they said we and on linkedin it was statements that pushed out it's the starkest example i've seen of mm -hmm. language change in per channel because generally everybody says the same sort of thing yeah. and it, you kind of can't really get much tone from it but on the really important subject i've only done it on migrants so i, I sure you know, I haven't tried it on anything else but on that it was the starkest example of a change of pronoun per channel and also on facebook people were much more likely to swear and use all caps and excessive punctuation really Channels, on yeah. Facebook, interesting. What? It's tribal. Mm. People on Facebook think everybody agrees with them. Twitter, unless you lock your account, you know it's open. Mm. And oh on my God. it's supposed to be slightly more professional. So yeah, that's why. I, I, I desperately want to fund this research. I want to like write you a grant. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is you want to sit down and do it. I think. I think. And I would also, I really do want to link it to hate crime because yeah. I'm almost positive that there is a correlation. There is a direct correlation. I mean, I mean, there's a real history of that too, right? Like I think back to uh, Rwanda and one of the driving influences on the Rwandan genocide was the radio, right? It was, it was people on the radio just saying horrible things about... Um, about the other tribe to incite right people uh, into violence, and I see like this clear connection between that and kind of like modern, you know, uh, what Facebook's influence on um, I think it was the Rohingya uh, Muslims that this just you know um, inciting these sort of mob violence in different countries. And I, I what I really wonder is if like I keep tracing it back is like is there some form of like proto twitter that was inciting the kkk right back in the day and if you just keep going back there's always some kind of element of just riling people up yeah. uh because it's not necessarily the natural state of humans like it's very difficult to for one human to hurt another without being angry first and you need to get to that state of anger before you kind of act blindly and like brutally yeah. um so i wonder if that's i don't know i wonder if that's like a, a theme yeah because i think you know we've had similar problems all the way through history right but you know there's hardly anything new going mm -hmm. on it's just at a scale that we are bombarded by it a few yeah years ago in the uk um <clears throat> quite a few years ago in the uk a little girl went missing she got abducted and i remember my kids were really small and i had them <laughs> lodged to my side yeah but to be fair 
she's not the only little girl who's ever gone missing. But because it's on the news 24 seven and because of the newspapers and because of the language that they're using, I mean, it, it, at that point, I would imagine, I don't know, I haven't done it, but if I put up a tabloid paper, they would probably have it on the front page, have no news, nothing new to say, loads of adjectives, loads of emotions, mm. loads of stuff to make you angry and scared and probably no new news. Yeah. Remember, we're all pumping it 24 hours a day now. Hardly anything happens, but you think it is because of the way that people speak about it. Yeah, I wonder if there were attacks on every word that did not produce new information, <laughs> if it would utterly change the landscape of news, right? Because, so A, you're absolutely right. There's this thing called um, neglect of probability that's driven exactly like that. Why are we afraid of sharks? It's not because the likelihood of being killed by a shark is high at all. It's extremely low. There are, you're far more likely to have a vending machine fall on you than to be killed by a shark. Okay. Um, even if you spend all day at the beach, you're still like, it's not, you know, um, but it, when it happens, it's sensational and we hear about it and we don't have news every day about, uh, it's day 476 of nobody being killed by a shark. <laughs> that's, that's not news. Right. Um, yeah. but on the other side of it is the reason you're putting papers out and, and having articles about this situation and you have nothing new to say is because you want to sell papers it is, or if it's on, on the networks it's because you want to sell ads. Right. And I can't sell ads if I don't have anything there and things that make you emotional will get your attention. Right. So it's really just, my job isn't to tell the news. My job is to get attention. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And yep. that is a very dangerous shift for a journalistic organization. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, I think it also speaks to like journalism itself as an industry. Mm. And so many journalists leaving. Yeah. Because they have to pump out thing after thing after thing. And, and now we are giving awards to journalists who are allowed to stay on something for a year. Like the, the Guardian have broke you know they've broken a number of stories recently um and they're long-term stories yeah and now that is abnormal and it shouldn't be yeah i'm gonna recommend everybody see the movie spotlight it came out a few years ago and it's about the boston globes uh, uh years long uh investigative journalism around um sexual abuse scandal of the catholic church and it's and it, it does a great job of showing you what it takes to break a story like that and it is not sexy. It is very dull work. And it's very punishing work. It's very emotionally taxing work. And it takes a long time. And they get into the economics of it too. Because the frame story is that they have a new publisher who's like, you know, has they have to now justify their existence too. Um, but you really get that full picture of like what it is and what it takes to fund it. And I, again, I think that, you know, I, I don't get through one of these episodes without saying the word capitalism, but <laughs> we need to really think carefully for any service we provide, we need to think very carefully about how it's funded because that is inevitably going to impact the service. Yeah. So I, I said before that my boy is really into um, politics. He has the definitions of like capitalism. And he came down once and he said, Mom, I think you're an anarcho anarchist and walked off. I was like, I don't even know what that is. And I don't really want to be one, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> he's, like a, he's a oh what is he a syndicalist at the moment mm. he goes through these things um i don't think that we actually know what these terms are i don't know what's going on over there but we have like oh socialism 
going on, all communism going on over here. Whoa, everybody's got opinions about it. Nobody knows what it is. Literally don't know what it is. Yeah, yeah. You just know that it's bad. And that's coming from the language and emotion and just churning stuff out, just churning it out. Well, I think, I think that's also another uh, element of jargon, right? Because there's a degree to which jargon makes you look professional, but there's also a degree to which jargon hides what you don't know, <laughs> right? There's a lot of people who will talk that way because it shuts other people up. <laughs> like if I say this phrase enough times, you'll be like, okay, you know what you're talking about. I'm just going to do your thing. But if you actually stopped me and said, okay, uh, what does that term mean exactly? Explain it to me like I'm five. A lot of people just don't know how to do that, either because they're not skilled in doing that because it is a skill or because they don't actually understand it. <laughs> yeah. And I think you've just taken us right back to the beginning again with ego. And when you talk to people, right, when you sit down with an SME about content, as a, a, you know, um, an expert about, about your content and you say, can you just explain it to me so that I can write it clearly? They'll go, well, it's not clear. <laughs> it's far too important no i need ten thousand words for that i tell you i tell you my favorite thing the the confabs this fantastic uh, content strategy conference we, we actually met at it and my favorite thing and the hardest thing about the submission form is the very last question is in two sentences in normal in in, in, in clear language tell me what your talk is about and it is the hardest thing for me to fill out but it's also the most rewarding thing because it forces me to actually figure it out. It's like, wait, what the hell am I talking about? <laughs> yeah, you can tell that they're content strategists, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> through and through. Yeah. Um, Sarah, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, just thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. That time is whipped by. <laughs> I know, right? Conversation. And I meant to tell you this earlier, and uh, the, but uh, this is actually the last episode of the season. So thank you for making for a great season finale. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, something I'll announce here, this will be like the season finale cliffhanger. Um, uh, I am next year going to start a brand new podcast called uh, Lately I've Been Thinking About. Uh, and it will begin pretty much exactly like this podcast began with, I'll have someone very, you know, nice and intelligent on. Uh, and what we'll do at the very beginning is I'll say, hey, what have you been thinking about lately? And whatever they say is what we're going to talk about for the next the rest of the thing. So if they've been thinking about knitting, we're talking about knitting. Um, so I'm looking very much forward to that. Uh, thank you all for, for showing up for this season. Um, uh, for the Cognitive Bias Podcast. I'm your host, David Dillon Thomas, and we will see you uh, next year. <laughs> <laughs>